It is Thursday, March 18th, 2010. I'm Bill, and this is Where Icarus Flies. Well, so much for this being a weekly podcast. I have been off the air now for over a month for various reasons. It got a little busy there for me. Unfortunately, I got a, a, a about a week and a half of shows pushed out, and then kabam! I got H1N1. I was hit with the swine flu. Let me tell you, it sucks. It totally sucks. Uh, it's been about three weeks now. The first week, I was just done. I was, there was nothing happening. I had a 104 degree uh, fever, aches, headaches, no energy, felt awful. It was just, it was not pleasant. Uh, and basically for about a week, I think I slept about 70% of the time, maybe even more than that. My wife was wondering, what the heck, how can you go to sleep at night if you slept all day? And my, there was just no gas in the tank. Uh, the following week, I started feeling a little better, but it, it took a while. I had no energy, or when I did have energy, it would leave me very, very quickly. It was amazing. It was, it was kind of freaky. Um, it wasn't till about day 12 that I felt like I had turned a corner, and I felt like I could actually begin to function again. Now it's, it's. This is my third week. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling fine. Haven't had a fever in weeks. Um, you know, no more aches or any of that kind of thing. But I tell you what, I still every now and then just kind of feel weak, and I still got something going on in my chest here. So my voice might sound a little uh, kind of crazy today. Hey, it is what it is. Uh, and I have been coughing still. So whatever I got, oh my gosh, it hit me hard. And I don't usually get sick, but it just pummeled me. So I don't wish that on anyone. It's funny, my wife and I were talking about it, and we were saying, um, you know, why, why get the vaccine when folks, you know, we're not in the high-risk factors when folks, you know, other folks need it. Because for a while here in my area, you know, it was, it was just you weren't able to get it. Uh, now, pretty much every pharmacy has uh, the H1N1 vaccine. Both of my kids were vaccinated, and my wife finally did get vaccinated about three, four weeks before I came down with it. I, I was not thinking of it from the standpoint of, it's, you forget about risk factors. I'm not worried about dying, but it's just not something that you want. Uh, it was yucky. Like I said, I, I never get sick, so... 
All right, so I apologize for that. I was down. In fact, what's kind of funny is this is episode 10. This is 1-0. And I have an earlier version. I have an episode 10 that's about 90% recorded. And I had to scrap it because uh, it was just taking me too long to get it out. And then I have a second episode 10 that's about 30% recorded. Uh, and that didn't make it. So this is actually the third attempt at episode 10. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, I'll use some of the other stuff from the uh, older episodes in, a, in future conversations. But All right, so sorry about that. Sorry I've been off the air. Uh, I'm back now. I'm feeling better. I know you're worried about me. You know, even my tweets were down, right? There were, weren't many going on out there. But I am back. And it is time to get on with the show. So let me tell you what we have on tap this month on Where It Grist Flies. All right, this week on Where It Grist Flies, we got a little Where It Grist Flies jambalaya coming at you. I want to spend a few minutes talking about DRM, Digital Rights Management. And this is, you know, the software that's uh, the code was built into computer games and songs and audiobooks and basically things that you download, movies, right? So that only you can watch them, only you can listen to them, only you can play the game. And a lot of times offers uh, a lot of what I consider unfair restrictions on the consumer. So I want to spend some time talking about DRM. I want to revisit a topic that I'll probably hit multiple times over the years, and that is education, uh, the education system in the country. And I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what's going on there in Rhode Island with the firing of teachers and you know, my feelings on uh, President Obama and his support, or lack of support, actually, for teachers. Then we're going to have Joey Hoover in the house. Yeah, Joey has not been pleased with me that we haven't had a show in a while, so I'm sure he's got a lot to say. And I have a very special Masterworks Theater today for us. So that's what we have on tap this week at Where Icarus Flies. It's time now for a little Where Icarus Flies jambalaya. If you're not familiar with jambalaya, it's a spicy mixture of a lot of ingredients into a uh, kind of wonderful mash of seafood and pasta. It's quite excellent. So this is where I take the time to have a little mishmash of topics, uh, sometimes a little spicy. First thing I want to mention is I want to talk about a national ID card. Uh, the Senate is working on this right now. They're working on immigration reform. And I understand that's a problem in our country. But I personally think this idea of a national ID card for immigration or to stamp out illegal immigration purposes is a bad idea. I think that, uh, you know, so number one, right, as an American citizen, you'll be required to have this national ID card. And before you can get any job, before you can go to work, you'll have to present this and a company will have to scan it. And basically it connects to the government and the government has to approve you to work. So basically for any job 
that an American citizen wants to get, they're going to have to ask the government for permission first. Now, a contract for employment should be a decision between a prospective employee and the prospective employer. That's where the the hiring comes from. There should be no asking the federal government for permission there. That's craziness. Um, you know, I just envision the millions and millions of American citizens out there that will be accidentally denied uh, because of mistakes in the system. And that could be very traumatic, right? I mean, oops, sorry, you're not allowed to work. You're an illegal immigrant. Oh, really? Because I know I was born here, and so are my parents before me, and so forth. And by the time that gets straightened out, that employer may have hired somebody else for the job. And I guarantee you, millions and millions of folks will get stuck in there. Um, there's a kind of a pilot program along these lines that they've been running called E-Verify. It doesn't have you use a uh, national ID card, but this E-Verify is the same kind of thing. Hey, government, can they legally work for me? And right now, um, you know, a high percentage, higher percentage of what there should be of false positives are getting denied. So I just worry about this national ID card system that, like I said, millions and millions of people be affected. Uh, I mean, I, you know, this is just another government database. I mean, I know, I get it, I've talked about this before. Our information is out there, right? Our information can be uh, gleaned from a lot of sources. In fact, for probably 40 bucks, there's a lot of services out there on the web that I can find out your name, aliases, addresses, previous addresses, employment, how much you made, how, you know, all kinds of information about you, marriage, death certificates, birth notices, all that kind of stuff is out there. And it's not that hard to get. So I understand my, my information is already out there. But do I need yet another giant government database with my information in it? Um, I mean, I understand that undocumented in immigrants, this is a problem in our country, and we need to deal with this. I understand that. I get that. Okay, but is it such a huge problem for our country? Is the problem of such a caliber that every single American citizen, all 300 million or so of us, need to now carry a national ID card, have our information in yet another central government database, and ask permission from our government every time we want to work? I don't think the problem's that bad. I think we need to come up with a different solution here. My opinion. All right, different topic. Where has our priorities gone as a society? Let me start by saying, listen, I am a fan of animals. I am for animal rights. Uh, I don't want the mistreatment of our domesticated animals. That being said, I have no problem 
eating meat. I have no problem, you know, slaughtering, you know, not me, I don't want to do it, uh, but someone else doing it for me so I can get my hamburger, my pork chops, my, my chicken breasts and whatnot. And I know this will be a little controversial. I don't know that I care that much about my chicken living in a box. So it's a better chicken. I understand that's not good. And, and you know, if it's labeled correctly in the store, I, I buy the free-range stuff. I buy, I buy free-range eggs, right? Um, you know, buying the chicken breasts and whatnot doesn't really say. You know, so, you know, I just buy the chicken breasts, right? So, I, I you know, I, I get that. I, and I don't want, you know, baby calves that mistreated and whatnot. But at the same time, I have no problem, uh, you know, having them slaughtered so I can eat them. All right? When it comes to domesticated animals, I have no problem uh, with... Uh, most animal cruelty laws, right? When it comes to wild animals, right? I, I'm not a hunter. I have no desire to go hunt. But, you know, I get it. Some people like that. And as long as they're obeying hunting season and hunting laws, I don't really have a problem with hunters going out there and hunting. No, do I want them to mistreat those animals they're hunting? No. Where am I going with all this? Well, I was reading this article uh, for this lawyer in Zurich, Switzerland. He's the only one of his kind, but there's uh, likely more of the likes of him to pop up across Europe. And he is basically an animal rights lawyer. And I understand that, you know, that could be an important job. But when I read stories like the one I read, I just go, you know, where, where are we? What are we care about these days you know we've got homeless and we've got atrocities and dark fur and whatnot yet here we have a lawyer in Switzerland that is representing a 22 pound pike okay a fish and he's suing the fishermen for a lot of money by the way because this big fish fishermen fishing I don't know if he was off a dock or boat or what, but he's out there fishing, gets a bite. Oh, man, this is a big one. And he's fighting that thing, and he finally reels it in. Took him 10 minutes to reel this fish in. Well, this lawyer, I I can't even pronounce his name, so I'm not going to try. This lawyer says that right there, that 10-minute fight, to bring in the fish was cruel and unusual punishment. Can you believe this? A fisherman bringing in a fish. Cruel and unusual punishment. I mean, don't get me wrong. If I'm the fish, yeah, that sucks. I got caught. I got a hook in my mouth and this guy's pulling on me, right? So how did he find out about this? Uh, in the local paper... It showed that, you know, had a picture of the fisherman holding his, holding up his four foot long fish, right? I, I'm sure you can picture this in your mind. A fisherman, he's probably got his pole in one hand, his crazy fisherman hat with all the lures on it, maybe his crazy vest, and he's holding up his fish going, yeah, look at this freaking fish. It's four feet long. It's 22 pounds. I am the king of the dock, right? Well, 
he sees that and he says, this lawyer says, Mr. Goschel, Goschel, I think his name is. So Mr. Goschel says that picture reminds him of an atrocious picture of a safari hunter with his head, you know, his foot perched on the head of a den lion. Can you believe that? He says, why should this be legal when other animals have to be slaughtered in a humane way? Well, I, hello, I hear a bunch of deer calling up, um, getting shot in the side with a crossbow or, a, you know, some buckshot in the butt. Uh, that doesn't sound humane to me. So, you know, I get animals need to be defended, but come on. When we start suing fishermen for catching a fish, where the hell have we fallen? Where seriously have we gone? All right, just my thoughts on that. And finally, in uh, Jambalaya, I just want to bring up, this is something that happened uh, over the summer, you know, back in July, but the story had a little bit of legs. This couple sued Google over having pictures of its house in the Google Street View. And at first, I'm hearing this going, you know, what? Are you kidding me? What can you do? Now, Google, of course, uh, is arguing that there is no such thing as privacy anymore. Uh, with today's satellite technology, even those of us that live out in the middle of the desert, right, we, can, we still have our stuff online. Well, I, I do believe a couple of things. In my heart, I believe that if I request to have that image removed, um, it should be, if at all possible. I think that would be the nice thing to do. There's no law that says you have to do that, right? And not if I obtain that uh, picture while on public land. So what really happened here? This couple in Pittsburgh, um, you know, why are they in such an uproar? Well, it turns out that, you know, so, you know, you know, if you're familiar with the Google Street View, there's the Google Mobiles, and they used to have a fleet of Priuses. I don't know if it's still a Prius or not, but they have these cars, and they have these cameras mounted all along them, right? The 360 camera, and it really just drives along, and it, it catches pictures there, and they put it up on their Street View website. I got to be honest, I have found the service extremely, extremely helpful. Yeah, that's two extremes right there. I found it very helpful. Um, when, especially in a city environment, when I'm looking for, say, a store or someplace I'm going, and I'll take a look at the street view, and I'll, I'll take a look at the street and see what's there, and say, oh, I know, oh, gosh, there's a 76 gas station right there. Ah, it's two down from that. Or, or you know, you're looking for those landmarks. So, I, I think it's been helpful, right? I've done the same thing when I've gone to some, uh, you know, private home addresses. And I've done the same thing and go, oh, okay, I get it. All right, I get kind of picture the area. So I think it's helpful. I do think that we're on the borderline of having too much, right? That being said, so what happened with this couple in Pittsburgh? I'm not going to bring up their name. I'm going to keep them private. But, you know, have a nice Google search and you'll find it pretty easily. <laughs> anyway, so what about them? So turns out that there was no way for Google to actually get the picture of their home unless the car drove up a private drive. So the Google car willingly and knowingly, the driver, 
drove onto private property in order to obtain the pictures. That, I think, is way over the line. If somebody lives down a private drive driveway, it's not the public road anymore. I have no problem with Google driving down the public road and snapping pictures, right? I'm not sure there's much we can do about that, at least here in the U.S. I know uh, in various uh, countries and locales in Europe, there's some different kind of privacy laws, and I know that they're kind of going after Google hard on those things. But here in the U.S., I don't think that there's much you can do about somebody standing on public property taking a picture, right? I don't think so. I've never looked into it, but I don't think that's a problem. I mean... That's the whole reason we have paparazzi, right? But when you willingly and knowingly drive up onto private property, well, that's over the line. That is way over the line, and I think that uh, Google should be punished for it. I'm not normally into kind of what I think are frivolous lawsuits, but see, not only do they need to take the picture down, which they have, unfortunately, though, the internet is a big beast. So if you really want to see a picture of their uh, yard, you can get it. It's all over the internet now, right? But I think that Google should be liable for damages there. How much? I don't know. But it needs to be enough that they won't do it again. That's, that's the reason that we have the damages phase in a lot of these trials, right? McDonald's, you know, lady getting millions of dollars there for hot coffee she spilled on herself. Uh, we think it's silly, right? I gotta tell you, have, have you had McDonald's coffee? It's extraordinarily hot. It's, I think it's way too hot. It's, it's much hotter than it should be. It takes a long time before you can drink that stuff. I, I think she had a, a case there. Uh, in any case, right? So that's why we have the damages phase. So you hit the hit the company, so hopefully they won't do it again, right? Um, it, it, you know, I don't I don't think that these folks need millions of dollars, right? Because Google did this, right? Even you know, even ten grand, even twenty grand, right? I don't know the right amount, but you know, it's not going to make them wealthy for all the rest of their lives, and nor do I think it should be. But, you know, even say, I'm just throwing out makeup numbers here. Even let's say they uh, have to pay 20 grand to these folks. Well, if they did this 100,000 times and they had to pay out 20 grand each, maybe that hurts them a little bit, right? Maybe they're big enough that 20 grand isn't the right amount. I don't know. But I, I think they went over the line here. Uh, I think Google is going to be, a lot of you already think this, I know, the next evil empire. Uh, Google is uh, gone beyond its kind of coolness phase, and now it's, it's that big amorphous amoeba that is trying to gobble up everything. And in a lot of areas, that'll be a good thing, right? I think there's a lot of cool stuff and things I like about Google. At the same time, there's things out there they are going to become the next evil empire. There's, there's no doubt about it, right? Uh, I mean, a, a lot of it is the tendency we, we like to hate the big guy, right? Microsoft we love to hate, right? We, all, we need an, an enemy out there. Um, you know, I'm an Apple guy. I'm a big fan. You know, there's those of you that can't stand Apple and Steve Jobs. I get that. And, you know, Microsoft makes a lot of good stuff. They have good stuff out there. There are things that, you know, we don't like about Microsoft as well, right? They're big enough that they're both good, bad, and in between. Google's the same way. Uh, and we need to show these companies that private property is private property, and that was just over the line, in my opinion. All right, that is what we have on Wirikers Flies Jambalaya this week.
So, in my original, the first... 10th show recording. Remember, this is the third, my third attempt at my 10th show. In my first show, I had a whole Olympics uh, theme to it. And it was uh, more of an Olympics show than anything else. And um, I'm not happy that I wasn't to get that one on the air, because there was some good stuff in that. So maybe one day I'll release some of the segments, you know, as, uh, you know, on my unreleased never before heard on the air kind of a compilation we'll see there was good stuff but you know I, I liked the music so this is this is the olympic music that i was going to use for part of that show and i thought it was kind of fitting for this next topic i want to talk about drm digital rights management right and this is the american way protecting our investment whether it's our videos, our songs, our computer games, our audiobooks, our PDF files, and more. Uh, DRM should be purged from the face of the earth. Let me start with that. DRM is anti-everyone. It doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. It's a wasted investment by the company because anybody who really wants to crack it can. So, what got me on this uh, topic in the first place? I was reading an article not that long ago on Boing Boing that uh, Ubisoft released Assassin's Creed 2. And I'm not familiar with that game, but apparently it's a pretty popular game. And Assassin's Creed 2 supposedly had one of the next generation of DRM, right? The uncrackable DRM. Well, first of all, I don't know why these companies even talk like this. Is anyone really fooled into thinking that DRM can't be broken? I mean, who was the guy that, that broke the, the DVD stuff, right? And he put it on t-shirts, for God's sakes. Well, within 24 hours, the DRM for Assassin's Creed 2 was broken. 24 hours. I've worked for a couple of software companies in the last 10 years. And I know what goes into software development and the software development process and getting features and functionality into software. There was a lot of effort put into this. Okay, these are most of the time uncalculated costs within the company, the software development costs. Not a lot of companies, I think, do a good job of calculating this stuff, but there is a lot of effort, time, you know, human hours spent on this uncrackable DRM. It took 24 hours, gone. What a waste of development time when they could have been focusing that on other things. Digital rights management. For those of you who think that it's to stop pirating of songs and movies and games and such let me just let me call you in right now digital rights management drm does not stop pirating did, did that sink in digital rights management does not stop pirating 24 hours that thing's gone most things out there just spend some time on Google or whatever your favorite search engine is. And you can find ways to crack the code. 
Um, Little League. Little League of, of America. The Little League rule book. They have such a tight grip on this damn thing that you're not allowed. I mean, you have to buy a copy from them. There's no... Nobody has the rules posted online. Or if they do, as soon as uh, Little League International hears about it, they will send them a cease and desist letter and they'll have to pull that stuff down. Which I think is crazy because eighty over 80% of the Little League rules are just Major League Baseball rules, which are already online. They've copyrighted something that's already copyrighted. How can that happen? Right? In any case, you know, so I signed up to be this, uh, you know, one of their one of their coaches and, and whatnot on the Little League site. Okay, not just with my local Little League. You know, there's some coaching program and they sent me some videos. And I have access to this uh, protected PDF file of their rules, electronic rules. You have to jump through so many hoops to view this thing. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. Took me about 45 minutes out there to figure out how to crack it. And now I can... I can use it and I can actually, you know, view it on my iPhone and all kinds of things. Uh, am I sharing it with anyone? No. No, I'm not. Right? No one else paid for it. I did. I'll, I'll respect their, uh, you know, the use. But digital rights management, it does nothing but infringe on the purchaser of that content's rights to use it in legitimate and legal ways. So, iTunes dropped its DRM. I know Steve Jobs wanted to drop the DRM, you know, years before. Drop their DRM. I think on all their titles now, but maybe just its most. But I think it's on everything now. Uh, you know, Amazon and other places have been selling um, downloadable music without digital rights management for some time. Guess what? The music industry has not fallen apart. It's still there. People are still buying songs. Are people pirating songs? Of course they are. They were pirating songs when there was DRM. Uh, it wasn't that hard to go search to find ways to strip DRM from your songs. Even, you know, the vaunted Fair Play, Digital Rights Management, another one of the uncrackable ones out there. Easy to strip. Not hard at all. Uh, movies, same thing, right? I mean, the market for these movies, it's out there. You can, you can download whatever the heck you want. You know, you get the stuff from Apple and whatnot or whomever. You can break that stuff if you look hard enough. PDFs, games. One of the most uh, oh, just craziest, lamest uh, methods for digital rights management that I had ever seen was one of my favorite games of all time, classic. It's called Starflight. Starflight 2, it was just so-so, but the original Starflight put up by Electronic Arts, that game rocked. It was for the PC. Uh, it was awesome. But randomly throughout the game, and or uh, whenever you'd take off from the main base out and to do some sort of mission, it would ask you, to enter a code word. And the way you got the code word was with the game came this code wheel. And the game would give you, you know, two words and you'd have to spin the dial and, and line up one thing with another and then it would show you the, the, the code that you had to type in. If you lost this wheel, you were screwed. 
I had this game. My my younger brother, um, you know, could have. He's five years younger than me at the time. You know, I'm like eleven. He was just a young guy, right? Six. Easily could have destroyed this thing. You know, I'm only eleven. How responsible am I? I could have easily lost this thing. Um, and then we're out of luck, right? There's no way to replace that. Uh, for a while back, what, about 10 years ago or so, there was the big uh, the big thing where you would get this game on DVD or, or CD, right? The CD. And you could only play the game while the CD was in your computer. How freaking lame was that? How many times did you want to play a game and then you didn't want to have to take the CD? Or... You know what? I didn't have a lot of music ripped back then. So I actually wanted to listen to a CD in my CD player on my computer while I was playing the game. Couldn't do it. So there were, you know, the slew of you could look up on the internet and find the no CD crack. So it would crack the game so you didn't have to put the CD in. And you could just play the game. DRM is awful needs to be stricken from the face of this planet. I know I said that before and I'll say it again. I am an audible.com member. I enjoy listening to my audiobooks. I have no problem, you know, paying for my membership and downloading audiobooks. By the way, why the hell are audiobooks so damn much money? Who pays $30 for an audiobook when you can buy the book for you know, six bucks. Or go to your library and get it for free, for goodness sakes. Talk about wanting to make us pirate things. But with my Audible membership, right, I pay him a small monthly fee. Or, you know, I don't know, it's like 20 bucks, right? It's not that bad for me. And I get so many free credits, and, and I can download books with those free credits. I very rarely actually buy a book from audible.com because the prices are outrageous. Now, I have membership benefits, and I have... Uh, you know, a percentage off. So the prices I'll pay are a lot less than someone without a membership, but still they're outrageous for uh, a lot of these books. It's craziness. Now, what happens one day when I'm no longer an audible.com member and I need to validate uh, my membership through iTunes or whatever? It's not going to work, I'm, I'm gathering. So all that legitimate money, all this content that I actually paid for and own, I'm not going to be able to use anymore. Now, I haven't, uh, I haven't cracked any of the Audible stuff, but I did a quick search out there, and there's like two or three things out there that you can strip the DRM from audible.com books. Unfortunately, none of the things are free, right? They're like, one was like 30 bucks, the other was like 50 bucks. Hey, if it worked, one day I'll buy it and I'll, I'll do it, right? Because I won't be an Audible member forever. Can't can't afford twenty bucks, you know, forever for the rest of my life, right? So DRM is just there to limit how we can use our own content legitimately. I should be able to watch that movie on any one of my devices. I should be able to listen to that song, read that book, view that PDF, play that game. I get it. They don't want us to let you know people copy it and whatnot. Guess what? DRM doesn't stop that. The folks that want to illegally copy the game will and do the same with the movie, the same with the song, the same with the PDF file, the same with everything else out there. 
So DRM, again, is not there to stop piracy. Why is it there? I haven't figured it out yet. I really don't get it. I mean, do companies really believe that it's stopping piracy? Maybe they legitimately think that. It's not, but they think that. I don't, I don't get it. So that's my opinion. I'd love to hear your thoughts on digital rights management. How has it hindered your life? Or, you know, do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing, or what? So just some of my opinions. I'd love to hear. Send your comments to feedback at com. I want to talk about education in this country. And in an earlier podcast, I spoke about NCLB, the No Child Left Behind Law, and what a travesty and what garbage it really is. Well, President Obama and U.S. Secretary of Education, Arne Duncan, would like to overhaul NCLB. Okay, great. I applaud that. I am for this. Until you actually start listening to what Mr. Duncan and President Obama are saying. And when you start listening, it's not too good. First of all, you've probably heard what happened in Rhode Island. A Rhode Island school system, the superintendent negotiating with one of the schools in the district, a very underperforming school, And there's a few different models you can use in order to, you know, get change to happen at that school. And the superintendent took the drastic measure of firing all 93 of the teachers and administrators at that school. And now, according to the process, um, no more than 50% of those teachers can be hired back. Now, I'll throw out there right now, I am not from that Rhode Island community. I know nothing more than I've read and watched about the situation. But this is the scary part. And that is that in an underperforming school, a school that's been underperforming for years, The public perception is that we need to blame the teachers. Clearly, it's the teacher's fault. Of the 93 teachers and administrators there, I'm sure that every single one of them is no good. Or let's say they do. All right, they hire 50% back. Are you really saying that only 50% are any good? Now... You know, I was reading a lot of topics on this, and when you start looking through the uh, comments left on web pages, which is always dangerous, right? Because you, you get into this cycle. People become idiots when they leave comments on web pages. I mean, seriously. We could have the most intelligent folks, articulate folks in the world, and they get drawn into the comments on web pages, and they become morons. Uh, Myself included. I have been caught in that fray more than once. So I I understand. But in any case, you read through some of these comments on, on this story, and there's just a lot of public hatred for uh, teachers and teachers' unions, and, and well, unions in general, really. And, you know, 
there's great unions. There's unions that probably aren't, right? I'm not here to argue for or against unions. That's not the topic of the day. Uh, but, you know, the uh, superintendent wanted all these things to happen, and they were negotiating over pay, and they were getting closer, right? Uh, there was one report that uh, for some of the extra work, not all of the work, not for their entire year's pay, but for some of the extra hours that they wanted to put in, the principal wanted, uh, I'm sorry, the superintendent would have uh, was offering $30 an hour, and the teachers union wanted $90 an hour. That's a pretty big gap, you know, and something that somebody has to give there. And so this had nothing to do with the teachers, by the way. This had to do with the fact that the superintendent and the teachers union couldn't come to an agreement. So the superintendent used the nuclear option of let's just fire everybody. Screw the all of you out there. You're gone. And there's consequences because of that. So clearly I'm not for this. I think that should never be an option. I think that there are poor teachers out there just as there are poor uh, performers in every single profession in life I just finished watching an interview uh, a conversation with the United States Secretary of Education Arnie Duncan and Charlie Rose and Arnie Duncan in my opinion is an idiot uh, I think he needs to be removed I think that he likes to say the right things sometimes, and then his decisions that he made don't fall in line quite with what he says. And what scares me about President Obama and Mr. Duncan and those of their ilk, you know, those that think the same way as them, in that all these conversations, this entire uh you know, it was almost an hour-long conversation that Secretary Duncan had with Charlie Rose. And the entire time, when it came to how well a student performs or doesn't perform, the entire focus was on the teacher. It's the teacher's fault if the student doesn't do well. And it's the teacher's fault if the student does do well. For those of you that are listening to my voice who have never been a teacher and have, you know, really no understanding, even though you think you might, you need to understand this. I was a teacher for almost 10 years. I taught junior high and high school, and I have been teaching and working with children for over 20 years. And believe me when I say to you, that a good teacher certainly can make an incredible difference. A poor teacher can certainly leave a negative mark. Those things are true. But a teacher is probably only responsible for about 40% of the success or failure of that student. That's less than half, in my opinion. As good as a teacher as I could be, there are things that I cannot control. I cannot make that student study. I cannot make that student do their homework. I cannot control the circumstances of that family. I spoke earlier in another podcast about folks from, you know, children from low-income families and families 
that English is a second language, that having nothing to do with capability and intelligence, because certainly students who don't speak English as their first language and students that are from low-income families, that doesn't mean that they're not capable. It doesn't mean they're stupid. No, it does not mean that at all. But there are lots of factors at play that are out of the control of the teacher that severely or positively affect the student learning. And what I don't like is, you know, President Obama and Secretary Duncan uh, in their trashing of No Child Left Behind are still planning to use the same inadequate tests and they still want to tie teachers' performance to test scores. Now, I understand that in the general public, this sounds like a great idea. This is not how it works. This is not how it should work. I'm not saying the test scores can't necessarily be part of what's going on here. But test scores are not how we should evaluate teachers. Not at all. There should be physical observation. There are other ways we can come up with to determine if a teacher is a good teacher or not. I know more than one excellent teachers who have classrooms whose test scores are below where they should be, where the government and the state says they should be. These are excellent teachers that we're going to suddenly penalize now. I know some mediocre teachers who happen to have an exceptional group of students in their class and those students are doing very well and their test scores are um, very well. Those teachers would be rewarded and the excellent teachers punished. Why? Because the makeup of their class is different. It's hard enough for us to get teachers out there. We underpay them, we treat them like crap. Education is not valued in the United States. I'm sorry for any of you who actually are listening to me and think to yourself, no, I value education. The answer is you don't, not, not likely. Sure, there are some out there. I value education. I, I don't disagree that all of you probably think education is important. But as a society, we do not value education. We do not value teachers. One of the things we need to do to fix education in this country is to have a transformational, generational change in our thinking towards education. The United States, in many areas, especially education, has become a dump-and-run society. I dump my kid off at school it's your responsibility, teacher, whether they do well or not, and then I grab them at the end of the day. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that there are millions of parents out there who do invest time in their, in their son and daughter's education, that do invest time in the school, right? And I understand that many of you that would like to 
give more time in the classroom or with your school. You're, you're working, right? You have your own job and you're struggling. Well, maybe you're struggling, maybe you're not, right? But you got something else going on. I get that, right? Not every single one of us needs to volunteer in the classroom. Um, it just wouldn't be possible even if we all wanted to, right? My point is this. Education is the family's responsibility. First and foremost, education is a family program from kindergarten through high school. It is a family program. Even for those in higher education, it is still a family program, although we might do a lot less for those folks, right? Uh, when you start hitting uh, undergraduate college and such, we're trying to create more independent individual thinkers, right? And we're kind of putting most of the burden on them. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But from kindergarten to 12th grade, especially from K through 6, and I don't want to neglect 7 through 12, but K through 6 especially, this is a family program. You need to be involved in your child's education. You need to understand what's going on at school. You need to make sure they're studying. You need to be quizzing them. I don't really give a crap how hard your life is and how many jobs you're working and how you're trying to get things going if you're in that situation. That's awful. I understand that. I get that. And I know you're struggling, but you still cannot neglect your son or daughter's education. You need to be a part of it as much as you can. Others that are doing well off, I worked at a, uh, a very affluent school. So most of the, the families in the school Money was not an issue for them. Not everybody, right? There were plenty of middle class and then lower income students. But in the general population, the school I worked at was very, you know, much more affluent than in other places. And we still have a dump and run society. You know what? These are parents that are doing fine monetarily and they're still not involved in their children's education. Many of them were. They certainly were, and I applaud them. And there others are, hey, that's why I'm paying the uh, money to be at the, this private school. So it's your responsibility. We can't have that attitude. And changing society's perception of education is going to take time. It's going to take at least a generation, if not more. But we need to ingrain education as something important in our society. And then I think things can help work out from there. In the meantime, we still need to do things. We still need to fix things. But we cannot blame our teachers. President Obama's overhaul of No Child Left Behind is not enough. And it's not what we need. I don't like this uh, secret society that President Obama has created to give out uh, federal funding to schools or states rather that need it. Uh, California, the state that I'm in, was not selected as part of that first round, um, mostly because most of the teachers unions and school districts, okay, I don't want, want to use the U word union and incite a riot, most of the school districts in the state uh, are not supportive of 
the crazy things that President Obama wants to do with education. So California wasn't awarded money. So there's secret society of awarding money to states, not on need, but on other things. In President Obama's revision to No Child Left Behind, schools will still be competing for dollars, still using the same inadequate tests, and we still have this over-reliance upon these high-stakes standardized tests. What will this lead to? I guarantee you this will lead even more to doctoring of scores, to cheating, to trying to find the loopholes so your school isn't labeled one of the worst schools. Here in California, in the public education, we're just teaching to the tests. There is no innovation in learning. The standards that our teachers have to keep up with are not realistic. There's not enough time. Our teachers don't have enough time. And here in my school district, in order to stave off more layoffs this year, we're going to be cutting the school year by five days. We already don't have enough time. And in order to save our teachers, and so we don't have to move class sizes up to 40 or more, now we need to cut the school year. How crazy is this? There are some good things about what Secretary Duncan and President Obama want to do with education. And I do applaud the fact that someone's trying to take a stab at changing this. The problem is we're not going about it the right way. In the end, we're going to be hurting our students and we're going to be hurting our society. What we do now in the next few years is going to affect education in this country for the next 30 years or more. What we're doing now is going to affect a generation. We can't afford to screw this up. We've already done that enough. Now, President Obama and Secretary Duncan do seem to value innovation. And for schools that are coming up with innovative practices that are working, there are rewards for that. And I do applaud that. Right? That's some of the stuff that I like out there. I just think that we're still too heavily relied on these high-risk test scores that are inadequate to begin with. I think that we're putting the entire burden of education on our teachers when it should be a family program. I think students and parents need to take 60% of the blame if their students are doing poorly. And I think there should be school visitation teams that do visual performance evaluations of teachers throughout the year. I think that principals, if they're not already, should be viewing and evaluating those teachers throughout the year. 
I would love to have some family feedback forms. I don't think that's inappropriate for um, students or families to be involved in the feedback process. Hey, just because you get some you know, poor marks from a student or some families isn't the end of the world, right? We all need to look at these things in order to make ourselves better. So I think evaluating teacher performance and do we have a good teacher or a bad teacher really needs to come from multiple sources and very, very little should be put on test scores. The test scores don't actually mean you are a good teacher or not. It means that you happen to have a good group of students. So at the end of the day, we need to change our society's perception of education. And I think we need to concentrate more on innovation and getting good teachers and making sure all students get equal access to good teachers in schools, which means that this crazy competition for money and secret society deciding on who gets the money needs to be thrown out the window and we need to come up with more equitable means for distributing dollars. And I think we need to focus less on punishments and sanctions and test scores. All right, well, those are my opinions. I would love to hear what you have to say. So if you have an opinion or a comment on anything I've said on No Child Left Behind, on President Obama's plan, Secretary Duncan, or more, what happened in Rhode Island, what have you, send your comments, questions, opinions to feedback at whereicarusflies.com. All right, well, we have waited quite a bit. It's time for Joey Hoover and the Hoover Report. Hey, Joey! Joey, come on in! Hey, what up? Hey there, Bill. Hold hey. on, let me get my stuff on here. No worries. Get, hey, get how you doing? Uh, you have not been doing uh, what I would call well there with the uh, oink oink uh, going on, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I already told the uh, listeners here that uh, H1N1 uh, knocked right. me down, and uh, it was it was vicious, and uh, I know you know that. Oh, so. yeah. Oh, you, man. You were, uh, you were not uh, doing uh, very well there. You were doing pretty uh, poorly. Oh, yeah. So... It's uh, good to see you up and around there. It's good to be back on no, the air. I also know that you had a, a trip in there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We uh, went to Massachusetts for a week, which also kind of hindered our recording uh, yeah, capability. But we're back now, and let me get you started here. All right, come on. Do your thing there. Let me get going. All right, without any further ado, here we have Joey Hoover. Hey, thanks, Bill. Before I get going, I got to give a shout-out to a great listener, Chris Johnson. Oh, yeah. Chris, you rock, he man. He sure does. All right, this week on the Hoover Report, we got... Uh, first, I want to start with hockey. Uh, my two favorite uh, NHL teams, uh, the Boston Bruins and the San Jose Sharks. Oh, yeah, mine too. Well, since the Olympic break... Uh, they both have been doing uh, very poorly. The Sharks are three and five with a four-game losing streak, and the Bruins are four and six 
and they uh, might not even make the playoffs oh, I know. It's uh, so sad. at this rate if they don't pick it up. So the performance of both of my teams there, it sucks. No, I couldn't agree more. It's both of them are a mess right now. They got to pick it up. Oh yeah. All right. On to uh, you know another one of my favorite things there is not just sports. But the whole, uh, you know, dealing with the stars and everything and, and all that jazz, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, you like uh, pop culture. Yeah, yeah, pop culture. Yeah, you got it. You nailed it right there. Well, so you know uh, Sandra Bullock and uh, Jesse James, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, the Jesse James and uh, Sandra uh, Bullock. Yes. Right. I got it. All right, all right, all right. All right, what do you got? All right, well, you know that she just won that big day award uh, the, uh, you know, a week or two back, yeah, right? Best, best actress. Yeah, that's the one. And apparently, uh, Jesse James, uh, her husband, uh, has been cheating on her with uh, this model, uh, tattooed model, Michelle McGee. Oh. Uh, craziness. Oh, no, I haven't paid attention to that. Yeah, well... Apparently, uh, this went on for like 11 months. Oh my. So, you know, I love Sandra Bullock. I think she's good. I think she's made some questionable choices oh, there yeah. in the movies. She's also made some good ones. Uh, Jesse James, not knowing what kind of good thing you got on there. Come on. You suck. All right, Bill, I know that you are a big fan of American Idol, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I love that show. I've been watching it since the uh, about halfway point of season one. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's one of my guilty pleasures. Love that show. Why? What about it? Well, you know, you got me into it the last couple of years. Uh, and, uh, you know, Cara Dioguardi. Uh-huh. The Cara from the show. Oh, she writes songs and he, stuff. Yes, yes, I know her. What about it? All right. Um, well, I think that uh, this year uh, she is kind of uh, upped her criticisms of the contestants. And I think that uh, most of her comments uh, miss the mark. I, agree. I think that she says silly things. I think that she just wants camera time. I think that she this year has, is an idiot, and the show could actually be much better <laughs> without her. Uh, so, Cara Dioguardi, you suck. <laughs> I think you hit it on the head right there. Okay, I got a couple more, right? All right, let's hear them. All right, along uh, the American Idol lines on the results show last night where Lacey was voted off, uh -huh. uh, not a bad pick in my opinion, although I thought there was All a right. page was probably worse, yeah, but I Lacey has no shot anyway. Um, I They had those performers on last night, right? Uh, Keisha, who spells her name with a, a dollar sign in there, right? And Oranathi, did I say that right? Oranathi? Yeah, I think you got it right. You hear them the other night, oh, last yeah. night? Oh yeah, I heard them. What about it? I thought both of them were awful. I thought that it was just awful. I think that Keisha girl seems like uh, an invention from uh, a music company trying to invent a star. And let's put some elements of huh. uh, Lady Gaga and uh, the Black Eyed Peas yeah, and I others and kind of mishmash yeah, together, yeah. you know? So she, I think she's a total creation. But Keisha and Oranati, both of you. You suck. 
And uh, finally, we just had uh, St. Patrick's Day this last week here, uh-huh. and uh, you know, I know that you have uh, some Irish in you. Oh yeah. Uh, as as do I. But I gotta tell you, uh, I had this week uh, corned beef and cabbage. Have you had that? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Corned beef and cabbage. That sucks. <laughs> oh man, sucks. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I don't care for it either. All right. Well, that has been the Hoover Report for this week, and it's great to be back. Yes, it <laughs> is. All right. And thank you for well, being yep, here, man. Thank you. And I gotta get going there, Bill. All it was right. good to be back. All right. It was hey, great to have see you. See ya. I'll catch you later, man. All right, Joey. Thanks, man. And there was the Hoover Report for this week. Now it's time for Masterworks Theater. Silently, waiting intently, nearing everyone, fevers lurking, under, around, beneath, hiding in dark, unknown places, unseen like a thief in the night, yearning openly, undulating in your rapid growth as though taunting us, you filthy viral pathogen, pathetically infecting girls, boys, teens, mothers, fathers, old women, old men, and infants along your path of destruction. You know no prejudices. Your obtrusive, Underlying consequences shall be your death. Death to you, after much death to us, mankind. With an unkind voice, I scream in whispers, Damn you! Damn you! You filthy viral pig! Damn you, swine flu! That was a dramatic reading of Swine Flu by Mistress Reba. Oh, I thought after the events of this past month, that was pretty fitting for me. Well, thank you. That's been Masterworks Theater for this month. Well, that's our show for this week. It's great to be back. Show number 10, finally in the books. It took a few attempts, but I think we got it down now. I'd like to thank Joey Hoover for joining me in the studio today. That was a lot of fun. Look for us next week. We should have another podcast out. We're going to try to get back on the uh, weekly schedule. We'll see how well we do with it because we failed so miserably so far. But we do the best we can. If you have any feedback to send us, any comments, questions, anything you'd like us to read on the show, send that into feedback at whereicarusflies.com. I'll start working on the blog again. You can follow me at whereif at Twitter. So, again, on behalf of my pal Joey, I'd like to say thank you. This has been Bill, and you have joined us, Where Icarus Flies. WhereIcarusFlies.com provides this podcast for your personal enjoyment, information, education, and communication. This podcast is copyright 2010 by WhereIcarusFlies.com. You may not distribute, modify, transmit, reuse, repost, or use the content of this podcast for commercial purposes without the express written permission of WhereIcarusFlies.com. 
Requests for permission to republish or to copy and distribute can be obtained by sending an email to media at Thank you. Have a great day.